Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Guidance is internal. Ignition sequence starts. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff! We have a liftoff! Permission to board, please. Permission to come aboard. Permission to board. Permission to board. Do I have some permission to board that sweet mothership? This is the Permission Granted Podcast. Here's DA. Welcome inside the Permission Granted Podcast, everybody. The show about the show, the show within the show... As always, you can get the show about the show, the PGP, on its own iTunes feed. Search Permission Granted in iTunes. And then also find us on the DA Show's web uh, iTunes feed as well or our website. And that's easy. It's DA On Demand by simply going to daoncbs.com. So all of our audio, including the PGP, available all of those places. Hey, let's start with last week and the PGP Plus. Now a couple of days to digest this. How amazing was it? that we had demand for a secondary PGP for instantaneous reaction, that to me suggests something you argue today, that perhaps you like that big boy was not a top five moment of the DA show's year. If there is demand for an instantaneous PGP plus historically, it's got to be a top five moment of the year. Okay, I think you're putting me in a, in a, in a corner where I'm going to look like the bad guy here. And I'm only playing devil's advocate because, truth be told, it probably does end up as a top five. I was just trying to reiterate that there are so many things that we're going to forget about because this is so recent. But I will say on that other side of that, you also were leaving for a college football trip to Athens and were not there on Friday and said that as you signed off, prompting people to say, how could you not be here? We need to talk about this. And we also did the segment, the last segment of the show. If that segment is done in the first hour and or you're available and hosting on Friday, do we have demand for a PGP plus? I don't know. Getting Caroline Miss Chicken Pesto on for kind of a deeper dive full interview, I think, was pretty crucial. No, I agree. And I truth be told that it was the best PGP of the year and it was a PGP plus. And hearing that voice is now forever saved. So that's a beauty part of it. But we could have, say, got her on the PGP this week. But we needed immediate reaction because you're going away. So my only point is it may be top five. But for you to use the need for a PGP Plus as reason why it should maybe pass a Torg Bellinger, I think there's some holes in that argument. I didn't say it should pass a Torg Bellinger. You brought it up on the show. I said, could there be a conversation? I posed, could there be a conversation for the 12 DAs? Because the 12 DAs is coming up after Thanksgiving. When do we close voting here? Voting, well, we have to vote. There's no more candidates that could be had. Like, the craziest thing could happen tomorrow, we're not doing it. The can- that, that spins forward to 2019. Spins forward to 2019. And when I tell you we have the deepest draft class to date, and maybe maybe there are some weaker candidates where I was just pulling hot and heavy, knowing <laughs> that we do stuck in the chimneys now, I don't know. There are a lot of factors, but there are a lot out there. And I will tell you that... By the by, Monday or Tuesday, we need to have a conversation 
and figure out where we're going. And we have to line up your days off in December. Like We have to get this coordinated where we make sure we get these 12 DAs in. And that's going to happen. I would not be shocked if two weeks from today we've started the 12 DAs. It's possible. Can I just get one favor in here? Okay. <clears throat> you can do the list, type out the list, but I think eligibility needs to go through Thanksgiving. I think that should be the annual eligibility window. It's got to okay. happen. It's got to happen from like basically December one through Thanksgiving. That's that's the candidate year. I understand that, and I will gives us a nice hard date. It does give you a hard date. I guess my point then I'm just rooting for nothing else to happen, and if that means I got to lay down and die here for the next week, but that's fair because that just means you're just going to add one one moment to the list. Yeah, I, I guess. What I'm trying to say, and this is really like a conversation we should be having off the thing, is the the 12 DAs is one of, it probably is the most difficult thing I have to do during the entire year. Most labor-intensive. Most labor-intensive. Not saying much, but... No, no, no. But what happens is I, I help myself because the first year was very labor-intensive because we decided to do this in, like, November, and I had to go back and find the dates we did things and all of that. Now I pull segments as the year goes, but... I have to formulate a list. Then we have to gather because it's not just your voice. It's not just my voice. It's everybody on the show, Pete, Bogish, Kaplan. Uh, we have gone so far as to create a voting system where you vote a 1 through 12 on those and the lowest number total ends up as 1. And, you know, we could dance around that and, and mix, mix and match things if we feel like the voting was skewed short. But I got to do all that. We got to cast the votes. Then I got to put them in a particular order, and then I have to make sure they fit the amount of time we want to play them for, where a segment could be eight minutes long and you want to play four minutes of it. And I got to find the best four minutes of that eight minutes I pulled. There's a lot that goes into it. So if, let's say, we were starting, and I'm not saying we are, the Monday after Thanksgiving, you go, hey, Thanksgiving, all right, well, uh, let's decide Monday when I walk in here an hour before the show that, okay, this is number 12. I can't have that happen. Well, the first thing we need to do is go over how many shows we'll have in December to get to the 12. Right. I know that was a long roundabout way to get to that. I was just trying to explain and, my point of view. And don't worry. We'll get there. But I, I just I think, stress out because it's a lot of work. Just, it's not a lot of work. It's just more work than you're accustomed to because this show is now in somewhat of a cruise control mode. It builds, sure. It builds itself most of the day. Sure. And I would say that now with uh, you know my expanded role, I'm gonna. it's going to be more crunch time. More crunch time for me because I have less free DA show post time than I used to have. I know, but that's you took that's, that responsibility on. I that, am not asking for a pass. I'm just and, telling you. And remember, you know, the boss has said if there's ever a time where the new responsibility cuts into what Moraz does for you, you gotta tell us. I don't want to have to go tattletale. By, by the way, it's amazing how you'll remember that, Jim. But you know, I ask you to remember if we've had a guest on and you can't come up with that. I remember because that was very significant. It was. It was I'm not see this is exactly why I didn't want to say that. <laughs> I didn't ask for anybody to help me. I was pointing out this is going to create more work here. I want to make sure this is streamlined and we do this in the cleanest way possible. 12 DAs are coming up starting December 1. We should have the countdown of the 12 greatest moments of the show and this year. And I feel like Chicken Pesto Lady has got to be a very high candidate. Number two, uh, speaking to Iona yesterday, (laughs) that was actually a lot of fun. I... I thought that the questions were really good. We, Myself, Maggie, and Mraz were invited by Joe D., who now runs the comm department at Iona, to do a career seminar a panel, or just basically a career panel getting into the radio industry. Uh, and then we had a good crowd and had uh, good questions asked. And uh, I, I thought, actually, you did 
a really good job a couple of times of um, explaining, like, getting into the industry and what it would take. And uh, you were very funny. You made people laugh. You were very self-deprecating. I think that that really was good for the students to see, like, because you came off as very real. Yeah, that's what I always try to do. But I have to be honest. I got in my car last night, and I thought I bombed. I was like, oh, I really did. I didn't think that was my best work. <laughs> and now I know everybody's going to oh, good job. You did a good job there. But I really walked away. I thought you kind of were like the A guy up there. You had the most poignant points. Uh, you came across very smart. Maggie was excellent as well. Uh, and I feel like kind of she just kind of piggybacked on a lot of like you You were like the lead dog. And I feel like by the time it got to me on a lot of situations, there was only one time where I led the panel out. I, I heard both of you guys, and I basically said to myself, well, what the heck am I going to add here to this? And I, I just I tried to be honest. I tried to, you know, make people laugh because I, I remember being the college student yeah. in those situations. And as informative as they can be, let's face it, you know, an hour and 15 minutes in there of a Q&A can get boring. But I think the best way for me that I was always captured was if, you, if I find a way to be able to laugh every couple minutes or so, it just keeps my brain interested in what's going on. So I try to put myself in that spot. And I try not to turn it into a stand-up comedy routine, but insert comedy when it needs to be inserted. But I didn't think that was my best work. And I really was in the car list night going, I got to tell you, I think that was a bad, bad look for me. <laughs> you thought I, you bombed. I thought I bombed. I was on the Throgs Neck Bridge <laughs> leaving upstate New York going home going, I'm beating myself up going, what the hell? Why would I say that? <laughs> what am I doing here? What specifically did you regret saying? I know. I feel like I said a lot of uhs and stumbling, and then I even brought up a story that I forgot I never told you about me quitting an internship. <laughs> I was one, like, I never heard this. But I, but I, one thing that bothered me, and you brought it up on the show on Tuesday, was I didn't reiterate when you get an internship, don't do what I did. <laughs> yeah. I just kind of said, like, hey, this is what I did. I regretted it, but hey, it worked out fine. Like, And there were parts of me going, wait, they're going to think that's fine that I did that. And that was just one of... Of many things. Also, they had uh, the last question was a very serious question, and oh, I yeah. let only you and Maggie talk yeah. about it. And I kind of beat myself up, like, could I have had a point as the producer on handle? I'm like, yeah, you know what? But yeah, there were a couple things yesterday <laughs> where I just I felt like I got up on stage with you three, and I was a clear, I was the asterisk going in, and boy, was I the asterisk <laughs> going out. I didn't do anything to make myself feel worthy of a headshot. That's very funny because I spoke to Jody afterwards. We were waiting for my Uber, and uh, I said, how'd you think it goes? He goes, uh, we had a good turnout, and I thought the questions were good. He goes, uh, you guys were all phenomenal. And I was like, I thought Mraz was really good. He goes, yeah, I did too. Interesting. Yeah. Boy, I, I'm glad you guys did. You know, maybe I need a little of that because I usually have my own ego boosted, and I thought I sucked. So that's good to hear. Well, the the times that you can, because when you're on a panel, very rarely is it self-deprecating because you're kind of put in a position of importance. Right. So rarely do you have somebody say, like, I don't forget what you said, but I'm lazy. I lucked into this job. Um, you know, I quit this job. Don't do that. You know, there was all these Something kind about of, getting into the job. I'm like, when you look like me, you can't play sports. You, right. You know? Yeah. Right. There was always a few moments that I think people like chuckled like, oh, and, and I think that worked because it didn't feel as though there were a bunch of, um, industry professionals they couldn't relate to. True. That's a good point. And that's, that's the ultimate goal is, uh, I mean, I think it needs to be said over and over again. I have oftentimes been pathetic, lazy, fat, and <laughs> stupid. And I think... <laughs> If you are pathetic, lazy, fat, and stupid, the idea that, you know, things can't happen in your life, I, I think I'm the, you know, role model that it can. And mm -hmm. I, I have no problem. I, it's not playing a role. It is who I am. So if that's the message, if I got to target that person, then that's the person I'm targeting. Expire to be me if you're fat, lazy, and stupid. <laughs>
We had a very fun segment today where we talked about Floyd Floyd Mayweather getting footballs from the Rams and the the Seahawks players, and we said like, does Floyd Mayweather need two footballs? Like he can buy every one of them, and it reminded us of um, Schwartz's kids getting all those baseballs. And by at, segment comparing, you mean ninety seconds on Floyd Mayweather and a <laughs> nine and a half minutes on Schwartz's kids getting balls. <laughs> But Schwartz has joined us. Schwartz did our headlines on our overnight years, and uh, Pete's still working at CBS Sports Radio. And so we were talking about how, you know, Mayweather getting these footballs is a lot like how Schwartz has defended his kids getting all those free baseballs and free sports equipment from athletes at games uh, right here on the PGP. So it was very funny. Do you think, now you've reached out to Pete to see if he has a response, if he would like to respond. We have invited him on the show because I didn't want to do this behind his back. We gave him multiple opportunities to join us on the show. He declined all of them by simply not answering your text messages. Do you think Schwartz listened to the segment, knowing we were going to talk about him? No. I don't I don't think he listened, but it's very clear, judging by what you've ordered our digital team to do, that Pete will see the segment because we're putting it on Twitter. He's going to see it. I just don't think he heard it live. Well, I don't want to hide from Pete. I, I don't want... No, no, like I, don't, I, think, I think you're doing the opposite. I want to make sure that we're very out front and open, that we talked about you. Yeah. You should know about it. I just, for me, I this goes back to me being a hypocrite. This directly involved my aunt, and I <laughs> put it there, and as Bogus said, the universe wanted us to know this happened. I know that of all the people on the show, Pete keeps the line of communication open with me, and when it comes to talking about kids, whether it's worthy or not, I feel like Pete will not be happy about it. <laughs> about the way his kids were portrayed, and I feel like I am the one that thus will hear about it, and you guys will just be eating, you know, your dinner at home, not worrying about it. So, and you know me, I don't like conflict, even though I create a lot of it. Yeah, which is the great irony. Right, so I know, and I've braced myself that today, when I get out of work, I am going to have to deal with nonsense, (laughs) and I just don't want to deal with nonsense today. Well, the quick summation is, on Halloween, a young man came to Mraz's aunt's house, and said, uh, what's up with your decorations? Because she had construction tape or a do not enter tape or something around her uh, front porch. She was having construction done. And uh, it didn't look, I guess it looked a little bit like Halloween decorations. And uh, this young kid said, uh, well, what's with your decorations? Uh, I'm not impressed. Or this looks really cheap or something. You have a nice house. You shouldn't have such cheap decorations. Right. And something she said, like it's not de- Halloween decorations. We really have a construction area here. You're not supposed to go over that. He goes, well, I'm not impressed. I don't like it. And neither would my dad. And she goes, oh, what? Your dad's a big shot? And he goes, yeah, my dad's a big shot. He works over at WFAN. You might know him, Peter Schwartz. And so. Blurted that out, too. <laughs> yeah. So. Mraz's aunt calls Mraz and tells him this story. So, like, what are the odds he says that to, of all the people that he could have trick-or-treated, somebody that she knows works with her dad? So we, ha- dad. we had to tell the story on the air because it's crazy. A, a former member of the DA show's son says, my dad's a big shot to Mraz's aunt, not knowing it's Mraz's aunt. It's just too impossible not to talk about the show. So we talked about it. And I, I mean, we had to juxtapose the fact that clearly this is an impolite, disrespectful moment from a young man. And Pete had told us a number of times with the PGP the reason his kids get all the foul balls is because they're incredibly polite and always respectful. And so we had to tell this story and then also drop in the drops of Pete suggesting his kids are disrespectful. It's possible Pete doesn't know his kids are disrespectful. Yeah, and I think a lot of parents probably don't know. Because being a parent, as they say, is the hardest job out there. But 
I think a lot of parents do turn a blind eye to maybe thinking their kids are perfect. And as we know, we were young boys. I don't think I ever said that trick-or-treating. I probably sure had bratty moments. But Pete, because of how much he does with his young boys, probably really doesn't think they're disrespectful. So when he hears that, I feel like knowing Pete well, instead of turning and disciplining his son or talking to him, Pete, as we know him, probably will make excuses for them. This young man is uh, his oldest son is 13 years old. So I don't know, you know, what punishments go down at 13 years old. But here's the problem: is that if at 13 my mom or dad was asked, "Do you think Damon is res- respectful and <laughs> polite to adults?" They'd probably say yes. They wouldn't, though, keep hammering. Oh, he's very polite. He's very respectful because they would know there's a possibility. He's a 13-year-old chump. It's possible that he's not. I don't know. So you're saying when you rehammer that point home, there is doubt, and that is why you're rehammering the point home. Uh, no, I think that Pete wanted to go out of his way to make his son, uh, to defend his kids amongst their behavior that's questionable, and in doing so, leaves himself open for criticism because he goes so over the top. Like a head coach who says one thing, and then we catch him doing <laughs> another months later. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like, you know, Pat Shermer saying Eli Manning is the best quarterback in the league and we would never bench him. And then on the sidelines, you know, hey, what are you going to do when Eli Manning throws four interceptions? Got to bench him. You got to bench him. Yeah, you know what? Pete's put himself in the pickle. I'm just, as you could tell, I just know I'm going to have to be the one to deal with it. And I hate that. And I hate it because I had to, I couldn't hide this from the show when I get a call from no, my aunt. No, it's too good. How do I not? It's Matter of fact, good. I believe I called you right away and then had to talk to you about it the next day. <laughs> too good. How do you not? So, I mean, these, this is the bed I've made. So, Really, the bed Pete's made. So we'll see what comes of this. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you off the hook today because you're going to be working harder than normal on the upcoming 12 DAs. I'm going to cover side B for you. Really? Yeah. This just means you have something you really want to talk about and you don't want me doing side B. You could do side B if you want. I want to have Pens come on to talk about our Athens trip. You do it every year. I'm only busting your chops. Actually, this would save me a lot of time. Okay. All right. Uh, so I oh, got and some- I see what's – and I'm going to leave this up to the audience here. I was on the road in Georgia just a week ago today, and I had to walk you through how to put me up on the phone in here. So now I know you're excited just to do the same thing with Pens. Well, that's true. I, I am excited that I now figured that out. Now that I could tape all my own stuff in here, it's great. Okay, well, I'm going to let you do that. Okay. All right? Yeah. Uh, this is an awkward ending. So You can follow me on Twitter, at CBS. I think just uh, stay tuned for whether there's fallout over the Schwartz Halloween story. We got plenty to come next week. That's side A. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Now time for side B of the PGP, the Permission Granted Podcast, and our next guest, you know him from our flag football call a couple of years ago when Mraz was part of the Young Guns and we did the big game against uh, his huge foe, Mr. Six, and uh, I did the play-by-play. Our next guest handled the color commentary for the broadcast. He's kind of the ombudsman of the DA show. He's a media critic, and he listens uh, quite often to give us the honest feedback. He's also one of my best friends, and he is the uh, the second part, the 50-50 split with myself, of the annual college football road trip. And this year he went to Athens, Georgia for Auburn at Georgia. 
Mark Pentner, a.k.a. Pens. Hello, Pens. Hey, Damon, that's a, a heck of an introduction. I'm a little bit um, concerned that it started with I'm half of the broadcast crew of Mraz's essentially fake adult <laughs> flag football league. So I've, I've worked for years to build a career and a resume, and that's where this all begins. We should all be very embarrassed about that. We've yeah. all we've all compromised our credibility in that. So I want to start with you like that, big boy, because on your flight down to Athens, you got to listen to the entirety of the You Like That Big Boy Chicken Pesto uh, Gyro Girl, Chicken Pesto Hero Girl, rather, uh, lady, and just how it unfolded. As you listened to it unfold, what did you think? Well, you know how when you're on a plane and you put on a movie on the TV, it says things like there might be um, violence or strong sexual situations. So you don't, you got to kind of look who's sitting next to you <laughs> right. when you're watching it. Yeah. I felt really good that this was audio only because I got a little <laughs> giddy during the uh, during the proceedings with Mraz. It was it was as um, adult as I think the DA show is allowed to be <laughs> without getting in trouble with with your regulators. Well, she is, you know, she he's blindfolded. She has this amazing, sultry voice, and she's kind of talking about what had happened, and he says something like, yeah, I am a big boy. And that was a moment where there was pure giddiness and kind of some type of sexual tension, and it sounded, you know, pretty raunchy, actually, when he says, yeah, I am a big boy. When I was 13, I paid nine ninety nine a minute for things like that. <laughs> I mean, it was um, it was truly honest on his part, right? That's why it was so funny and uncomfortable, because I'm nearly certain, having not been there, but knowing Mraz a bit, that he was not hamming it up. He was legitimately giddy. And I did think afterwards, I kept thinking his poor wife, or poor Mraz, because his wife's going to kill him. I know. Because he was, his true colors had shined through in that moment. <laughs> <laughs> and she was amazing, right? Caroline, a.k.a. the chicken pesto lady, a.k.a. Uh, you like that big boy. She was just, she w had such a great personality. She kind of understood the energy of the whole thing. She wanted to kind of taunt him and kind of like be, but also uh, kind of um, to rope him in a little bit. I mean, she just played it perfectly like a fiddle. And it wasn't scripted, right? There was a lightning in the bottle um, notion here, right, that Mraz in and of himself is is a perfect character to play along on your show, and then you accidentally find this woman who plays off him and you perfectly, I think she's got to get like a weekly spot. I agree. I think there's a little Robbie Rosenhaus in her where she needs to be some type of, of recurring character on the show because she's just so funny and she's so great and she has a great radio voice. I've never heard anyone say a little Robbie Rosenhaus. <laughs> yeah, you got to be a lot of Robbie Rosenhaus because Robbie Rosenhaus is a lot of everything. But I, but I think she worked perfect in the context of the show, um, and it just had this bizarre electricity and the randomness of the chicken pesto order, and then you guys can't find her for months, and she reappears. It, it was really kind of surreal. Yeah, I don't. I don't think Mraz ever thought we'd really find her, and I kind of given up hope as well. And I was a little worried, as I told Mraz of the PGP Plus, that this was going to be strikeout, and uh, that I'd gone through all of this and built it up, and that here was our candidate, and it wasn't really her, and then it was going to be this huge letdown. So, so was, there's an important thing going forward, right? She still works at CBS Sports Radio. Yeah. So do so does Mraz. Yeah. So do you. Yeah. 
does Danielle let Mraz back that work? <laughs> like, is Mraz going to hand in his walking papers three months from now and be like, I'm, that's it, I'm going to 1010 and doing news from now on? <laughs> well, the question is, how much of his attraction to the event was her versus the order, the food? I think we're going to disagree here. I don't think it was so much the food. I think the the food is what put it over the top. If she would have ordered, you know, what I don't know, a health salad with arugula, and and he would have <laughs> and he would have noticed her for some reason, and she would have said, "You like that, big boy?" I still think Mraz would have been giddy. I mean, the food makes it better for sure, and and the food makes that extra spark between the two of them. But what order would have Mraz said? <laughs> You like that big boy? And he responds, no, not really. Leave me alone. <laughs> Do you think there's a good chance that, like, today after the show, he's just randomly walking through management offices pretending to, like, need something? He's going to want to accidentally walk. You know when you start walking through the office in certain directions for no reason <laughs> yeah. other than to accidentally bump into people? Yeah. <laughs> Mraz, who has spent the last three years trying to not be known by CBS management, is now going to spend at least 10, 15 minutes a day walking through the sales department. <laughs> but I think that we have a lot of attractive women that work in the office, um, and I think that that's not so surprising, that, uh, that that's not so unique. It was that she was ordering something that he would stop and listen to. And I think if she was ordering an arugula salad or some type of a tofu dish, I don't think he stops and listens. But now he's intrigued because she's ordering something that he would love. He is, you know, kind of mouth agape. Wow, somebody else is ordering this amazing sandwich and she's beautiful. And oh my God, she just said, You like that big boy. I think the order factors in quite a bit here. It helps. Again, it helps. But I don't know when it, this doesn't happen much in my life. Maybe it does in yours, Damon. Maybe this does in Mraz, which is shocking. But like, if on some random day, someone in my professional life looks at me and says, <laughs> you like that big boy? I'm in. I'm interested. It doesn't matter what it's about. She, she could say, you like that calculator, big boy? In my life, I, I'm interested, right? The calculator is not the story. So I, I, I do think food's important here, but I think it's more about, uh, and I'm sorry, Mraz, a middle-aged bald guy getting randomly teased by a strange woman in the office. The food's great, but but... That's not why we all relate to this. <laughs> oh, maybe you're right. When you put it that way, yeah, maybe you're right. She might have said, do you like this calculator, big boy? And he would have been all in. Most of us would be. So we go to Athens, Georgia this past weekend, and you and I have been to a series of amazing uh, college football games. We have been to Notre Dame Stadium. We have been to USC. We went to LSU a couple of years ago. Uh, last year we went to Auburn. Uh, we've been to Ole Miss three years ago, or now two years ago, to see Alabama at Ole Miss. We've been to Tuscaloosa for a Bama game. You've been to Wisconsin. I've been to Nebraska. We've, we've done games separately. <laughs> yeah, we've done a couple. We've been to Mizzou together. Uh, you went to Columbus without me. Uh, I went to Arkansas without you. So we have covered a lot of uh, college football landscape here. So let's start with um, – the town itself, Athens as a college football town. What did you think? So it's, it's interesting that's where you wanted to start, because I think you have to, 
and in, in trying to be serious about this, make a distinction between the college football experience and the college town. And I would have put Athens at the top of the list with Madison, Ann Arbor, Austin as great American college towns. Oh, right? okay. Great scene, um, lots of people, pretty town, culture, food, music, like all of that. And and if you told me that Athens, five or ten years from now, is the next um, Austin, where it had UT, it had the music thing, and then the city sort of exploded into this business hub, or Nashville, which has exploded, you told me that that was true of Athens five, ten years from now, I would totally believe it, because it, it has everything to explode. I think that's a good point. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, which is different than Tuscaloosa, right? I, I don't think Tuscaloosa is going to be like, a major town on the map five years from now. But from a college football perspective, I'm not sure that Athens competes with Oxford or Tuscaloosa or going to Auburn, right? That, that's, that's no knock on it, but I think if you take it as this is an awesome college town that also has SEC football, it's outstanding. If you're taking it as I want the best SEC football experience I can get, it's not my top one or two or three. See, I didn't think you were going to be very high on Athens because we went out to dinner, but it wasn't really in the town center. And the, and the dinner that we had was great. It was like a low country seafood Creole style of southern dinner, and it was awesome. Then we went out after that for drinks, and there was probably 40,000 kids in the streets, and we couldn't get into almost any bar, and it was really crazy and really uh, crowded. And it just made life kind of hell to walk around, and you guys actually had to bail to go to go back and, and crash. So I didn't think you actually liked the town center of Athens. So, so I think we have to make a distinction between me and you here. I've accepted that I'm 40 years old and that I'm not going to go to those college bars <laughs> and I'm observing what's happening, right? I, I, I'm like a journalist on, on, on assignment. You're trying to relive your youth. No, so, you're, so, so you're like, oh, there's a line of 400 college kids. We got to go there. No, and I look I at that line and think, I've seen that line. I'd like to go home now. You're wrong. I didn't want to stand in that line. I wanted to find the bar that had no line because I'm like you. I do not want to deal with the line anymore. I, but, do, I like the action, but I don't want to stand in the line. But in what college town of 40,000 kids on a Friday night in the Old South's biggest rivalry, is there going to be a bar you want to go to with nobody in it? I mean, we did wind up getting a drink at Mellow Mushroom at midnight. <laughs> yeah, which well, those who don't know is a chain pizzeria, right? Which was perfect for a bunch of 40-year-old men who were thinking, God, this was a lot of travel today. Well, I, But I thought that because of all those things that I mentioned, you wouldn't have liked it. Like, how did you know you liked the town center how did you know you thought it was a really cool city if we didn't get to go anywhere because everything had a long line so because if i was 20 i would have been all in on that town or all in on that line right and you could see there were millions of restaurants coffee shops um bars cultural stuff the georgia theaters there also athens you know was a giant hotbed of music between rem and i think the b-52s and widespread panic are from down there so it's yeah. got this really interesting authentic southern rock music heritage there which is just built into that town so you know if i was 19 years old and and wanted to go to college and get a good education and be in this cool music scene with sports and football and basketball and all that stuff what better place than athens right you can probably make that same case for for the university of texas or for michigan so i think of uga that way but it's not game day at LSU. It's just not Death Valley. The stadium's good, although terribly designed. I think we could agree that Sanford Stadium is terribly laid out. Um, 
the game day atmosphere in there is good. Is it Jordan Hare? No. Right. So I think there's a lot of good in it. It's it's a really fun experience. But I couldn't walk away thinking they're the best at at any part of the game day. So let's go to Sanford Stadium because um, stadiums in college football, this is what's fascinating to me. They're all bowls from 100 years ago that they had to continually expand upon, you know, every 20 years as football got bigger and as the SEC got bigger and as college football in general got bigger. And so you never knock down the old stadium and build a new one like we do in the NFL. And so they keep getting more and more modernized. It's just adding on to the old structure which means it's like this piecemeal Jenga board every single year. And if, you, and if you've done it like Sanford Stadium, you can only go up one uh, escalator, really one ramp, to get to the right place because you cannot walk around the entire bowl. So do you think that Sanford Stadium, which you're right, was difficult for us to maneuver, was really any different than any of the other stadiums we've been in? Yeah, I thought this was the hardest to maneuver. I mean, look, this is a technicality, right? I would just say get to your seats a half hour before game time, right? That's the big technicality. It's also built in a way that if you said that they wanted to go to 110,000 seats, I think they could easily do it, right? I mean, it it, it seems like ready to take another 5,000 seats and just get plopped on that place. Um, But I, I thought that was the toughest place to navigate. Now, that doesn't mean it's terrible, right? But there's one big scoreboard. We couldn't see it. It was a really tough to get to our seats. Again, not the end of the world, but if you want to have like an awesome historical experience, we, look, we've been to Notre Dame Stadium. You walk through that stadium, and, and you can just feel the history oozing out of it. I didn't get that from this one. I just sort of got they're trying to add more and more seats, and they're doing a good job of that, and they have the hedges. Other than that, it's really difficult to get around. Like you kind of need you need a road you need to ways your way around that stadium. In game atmosphere, uh, last year we saw the Eagle uh, at uh, at Auburn. Uh, we've seen obviously some other stuff. Uh, we've we've done the twelfth man at College Station. We went to Texas A and M together. We were in LSU. Obviously, they go crazy. Um, I didn't think there was anything necessarily identifiable about the Georgia game. Oh, I got one. Okay, which oh, one? I got two. Well, one. It was a night game, right? I don't know how many how many night games there are at Georgia, but I thought that was cool, and they did this thing with their phones. So that was the start, the start of, the, of the fourth quarter? So I want to bring that up because that was the one identifiable thing, and I left our seats to go down to the lower bowl to get some shots for Nomad, and I was in the lower bowl when that happened. They bring all of their cell phones up, beginning of the fourth quarter. They've got – it's kind of like set to music choreographed, and they kind of like – they flash their their lights on their phones up, and and it kind of creates this kind of rhythmic, awesome atmosphere. And that was seriously awesome. Doing it from the lower bowl, I was going to ask you, did it resonate where we were in the upper bowl? Totally. You know what it reminded me of, like something you'd see at like an Olympics opening ceremonies where the crowd is involved in the pageantry. Yeah. So I thought that was really cool. The other thing that I remember, and this was a little scarring is 92,000 people singing I Want It That Way by the Backstreet Boys together. (laughs) That's true. I don't know what the heck that was about. And if you said to me, what's the weirdest thing you could ever imagine having happen in the SEC? (laughs) I would say, I don't know, like in the middle of the fourth quarter, everyone's singing the Backstreet Boys, and then it happened. (laughs) So that was really different than Jump Around at Wisconsin. It was really different. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping that doesn't regularly happen. It was just they were – in Auburn's Heine, and they were really happy and decided to sing mid-90s boy pop. But if that's a regular thing, my opinion, you got to change that. (laughs) 
I thought the best thing now, 92,000 people inside the stadium is cool, uh, and the fourth quarter thing is cool, and the hedges are cool. I, though, thought um, that the coolest thing about game day weekend was campus on Saturday. And I think we got a bonus because it was a night kick that we got this, like, five-hour run-up, and probably people were out there starting at 9 a.m. We got there around 1 p.m. I thought that campus, where everybody was tailgating, not in lots, but, like, on grass patches, in quads, in fields, some in, like, little driveways – I thought that was amazing. We didn't have access to most of that because we didn't have a permit, so we just kind of meandered. But everybody tailgating on campus and all these little pockets, I thought, was the coolest part about the whole thing. I have mixed opinions on this, right? I like that it's it's just kind of built into the campus. I didn't love that it's meandering. It reminded me of UT in that way. I, I just my preference. I happen to like Ole Miss, where it's it's the Grove and it's like everyone's there and they've got their spot and you're in college football insanity, okay. right? Um, at Tuscaloosa, yes, it's big parking lots that lead over to the frat, but that felt very like all of this is going on. The band is there. It's pretty open. It's you centralized. Can it pretty easy. Yeah, this was like this big school campus was taken over by, and little pockets of quads were taken over by, like, ten, like Penn City everywhere. So I, I liked it, but I never had this, like, overwhelming, holy cow, it's game day moment. I think that's, I think that's fair. See, this is the interesting about, uh, about Sanford Stadium and uh, this game in the stadium uh, and Georgia was that you can't just drive to the stadium and park in a parking lot and tailgate. I, I was mentioning to my buddy, he goes, well, how was it? I go, well... If I did it more than once, it'd be way easier because you need one dry run to navigate all of this kind of nuance. If you told me, okay, we're going to go to Steelers and Ravens and we're going to tailgate. I've never been to Steelers Ravens, but I would know exactly what to do. I would drive to the stadium. I would park in lot F. We would tailgate. I would have a cooler. We would, uh, you know, have a grill and I would meet you at gate two. You know, that's just the way that it goes. But at in, in, uh, in some of these college towns, especially in Georgia, you couldn't know where we were going to park, where we we're going to be allowed to park. You can't. There is no parking lot necessarily. Where we parked, we had to park in a parking garage. You could not tailgate in a parking garage. You had to find another place to be. You got to carry your supplies through there, and that you need the dry run just to know. Okay, this is how game day works. And it could be that we we didn't know the lay of the land great, but I feel like at Auburn, the football stadium was very near like the athletic complex. So you, you, that was kind of all taken over on game day. Got it. Um, it felt like at, LSU at, had a huge parking lot that helped us. Alabama, same thing, yeah. right? Th- this felt much more scattershot. And I think your point of if you had one dry run, it it, it might have been easier. Like I feel like campus still you could have gone to class on this Saturday. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I mean, it would have been busy, but but like the campus was still functioning. It also felt like, especially at Alabama and and Ole Miss, and this may just be the outsider's view, and I know this couldn't be factually true, but it felt like the stadium was the center almost of campus, and everything was built around it. I know that may not be actually how it feels, but game day it feels that way. Georgia, it felt like here's where the stadium is, and there's the physics building, and here's a student center, and here's economics, <laughs> and you were like, okay, I get it. I'm other than that, the fact that there's a game, it just didn't feel as, like, I don't know, master planned, right? Like at, at Tuscaloosa, didn't it feel like that stadium was the center point of that whole city? Yes. Uh, and specifically where we came in, there are huge grass lots in Tuscaloosa so that everybody can line up 
single file in their cars and literally tailgate. It is very difficult to tailgate when you don't have your car. And there were those bars almost on the way, right? Like yeah. There's no bars right. or anything or even restaurants near Sanford Stadium because it's like in campus, right? I mean, there might be like student dining, but it's it's just different. Again, it feels much more like big city or big college town that also has a football field. I felt the same way, not exactly where the big house is, but the Michigan campus on a game day. USC was more like Tuscaloosa, where there was huge grass lots. People could park there, pay their 20 bucks or 30 bucks or whatever, tailgate out there, and everybody kind of had tents and kind of set up that way. That was more like Tuscaloosa. What we did at Georgia, didn't it feel a little bit more like A&M? Or didn't we take a bus into the parking lot of A&M because you couldn't really park down there? I guess maybe because of all the construction? I don't remember A&M. Maybe they were starting the construction. I remember Dak Prescott, Johnny Manziel, a thousand yards in like a six-hour game. (laughs) Right. Yeah, that was like a 52-48 game, and it took forever. But that in-stadium experience, we we didn't mention A&M. I thought A&M inside the stadium was mind-blowing. You did, because of all their cheers and chants and choreographed stuff. Totally different. Yeah, I thought that was so unique. But I, I thought Auburn was easier. And there were just things even about Auburn, like the Tumor's Corner and the Lemonade, that I can still point out as like, oh, that was so authentically Auburn. I don't have that as much from this past weekend. Well, yeah, rolling Tumor's Corner, that, that we happened to be there when Auburn beat Georgia, when they were both top 10 teams and got to see, you know, Tumor's Corner rolled, and not after they beat Citadel, but after they beat Georgia, was freaking amazing. Huge game. Huge, huge, huge. So so does this mean that I, I have a shot at doing another uh, flag football game this coming year? You know, it depends on if Mraz and the crew get into the uh, the playoffs. I mean, the, the thing with Mr. Six was there was a built-in storyline. People wanted to see Mraz versus the guy that uh, had basically tormented him and headbutted him and that Mraz um, had kind of called the evil empire. We, we, need, the, we need the drama and the storyline to call the game. You need more drama than a fat 40-year-old man running around a field in Long Island. <laughs> The drama, the drama is, uh, you know, take odds, take bets over under on injuries and, you know, asthma attacks. Well, I think they start up in the spring again. So you're saying uh, sometime. Regular season kickoff, kickoff classic. Come on. (laughs) Okay. So we're going to kick off things in March. Uh, with a, we'll we'll call the kickoff classic. On a a cold day in Syosset, I'm in. (laughs) All right, Penns, the ombudsman of the DA show. We appreciate you dropping on by, man. My pleasure. Okay. Talk to you soon. Take care. My buddy Penns, long, long, long friend of mine, dating back to our earliest years in college. It's uh, it's awesome to have him here on the show. As always, awesome to have him along with a college football road trip. For those that don't know, an ombudsman is kind of defined as uh, a member of an organization that that becomes kind of a neutral party observer who handles uh, conflict, uh, who can also kind of call you out if something is happening within your walls that you need to change or you need to fix. Uh, He helps mediation of conflicts, or she does, supports kind of orderly systems change. So that's what uh, Penn's really fills a tremendous role and very, very valuable role uh, to the public here for the DA Show and CBS Sports Radio. So that is the PGP. We thank you so much for joining us. Until next week, the Permission Granted Podcast disconnects. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. 
anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.